Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So we're going to continue on in our series on Philippians. Uh, we are at week five. If you missed any of the, the messages for this particular series, I want to encourage you to go back and catch them on the podcast. You can actually go back to YouTube and Facebook and catch them as well. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of great stuff. It's something new that we have been doing here. We, um, we're going through uh, the, the book of Philippians front to back. And so we're going to kind of wrap up week uh, chapter number one. And uh, next week we'll finish it up and go into chapter number two. So we're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians. And what we're doing is we're looking at the, the truths that Paul has communicated to the church in Philippi, which is who the book of Philippians is written to, the believers in Philippi. And we're looking at the, the lessons that we can draw here today and what the Spirit of God would say to us through his word, um, through these, these passages of scripture. So tonight we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. And uh, we'll go through those um, individually as we get through into the message. So point number one on your notes. You got your notes? Point number one is this. Expect and hope. Expect and hope. Now, um, I'm a church kid. I'm a church prep kid. I grew up in church. And when I typically hear the word expect, I um, it, it, in my head, I hear a vamp. Anybody know what a vamp is? No? Okay, so it's a preacher term where people, they kind of like, they want to drive a point home, and so they, they keep hitting that point. And I've done it myself. I will continue to do it at some point in time. You'll hear me do this um, when I feel like there needs to be kind of like a point that's driven home. But let me give you an example. Like when people talk about expectations, like you need to have, when you pray, you need to have expectation. When you worship, you need to have expectation. When you, um, uh, when you kneel down before the Lord, you need to have expectation. When you believe, you need to believe with expectation. And that, you see what I mean? It's kind of vamping. You're kind of rolling. You're kind of, everybody's getting in the, woo, hallelujah. And if you have an organ player, they're screaming on the organ back there, you know. And so that's kind of where, when you talk about expectation, it's almost as if the Bible says something about um, your expectation is the key to unlock your breakthrough and all that kind of stuff. And people yell and shout and holler and scream. But I can't find that whole thing about the expectation is the key to the breakthrough. What I find is that faith in God and praying to him in belief is the key to unlock what he wants to do in your life. So when I saw these two words here, expect and hope, Paul approaches them both at a different perspective. And let's read this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. I'll read it out loud for us. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Those two words, expect and hope, jump out to me in this passage because they're used by Paul in a way that I didn't grow up hearing them. It wasn't an advance. It wasn't like a, a big mo a moment to be like, come on, dude, expectation, expectation. It wasn't like all that. He's saying, I fully expect and hope that I'll never be ashamed of the gospel. Now, the next line in your notes, expect, if you're looking at what expect means, it's I am planning on it. I'm planning on it. That word hope means I am hopeful it will happen. So let's draw a quick word picture. 
MRIs or brain scans, which my wife says I probably need one of those, even though just in general. But like, do, a, do a brain scan or whatever, and do all these tests, and they come back, and the doctor says, hey, um, everything looks good, so tomorrow morning, we're going to discharge you and let you go home. So what that does is, when I get that report that, yes, um, I'm good to go, I am expecting to go home sometime tomorrow, and I begin to plan for that. I call somebody to give me a ride. I talk about, you know, what pharmacy am I going to pick up my, medic my medicine at, or, or what, what follow-up process do I have to go through, but I'm expecting to be released. That's a word picture of our expectation for hope. Let's go back to that same analogy. I'm in the hospital, and the doctor goes, hey, we don't know what's going on yet. We need to run some tests, and if those things come back okay, then you might be able to leave tomorrow. Then I move from expecting to leave tomorrow to I'm hopeful that I get to leave tomorrow. See the, the distinction that we're drawing here, okay? Paul is saying that he both expects and hopes to never be ashamed of the gospel. He expects and hopes to never be ashamed of the gospel. This means that he's remained committed to the gospel throughout his imprisonment. He is preaching the gospel regardless of what's being done to him, and he fully expects to continue on this track, on this road of bringing honor to Christ through his life. But then he, he just doesn't say, well, I'm expecting to keep rolling. I'm expecting that this is going to just continue to, to happen from this point forward. I'm expecting to continue to honor the name of God. But then he also says something that, for me, gives me a little pause. He says, I hope. There's another translation of this passage that says um, that he hopes that, that, that his hope is actually in the, that he's never ashamed, that the, the word of God is true, and that God would never be ashamed of him preaching the gospel. But there's also another implication here. He knows that there is uncertainty in the future. And in one way, he has an open realization here in front of us that he's human, he's flawed, and he is also capable of failure. I'm expecting to continue to, to do everything that's in my heart to do that the Lord is leading me to do to fulfill this purpose. But I'm also hopeful that it will continue no matter what circumstance I face in the future. He's, it's an open admission in one way. It's, it's an open admission that he is capable of failing. We've talked a little bit before, and I, wanna, and I felt compelled to bring it back up to us. Our attention today is just knowing what we're capable of. Now in our Western culture, next line in your notes, our Western culture wants to encourage us to, quote, know what you're capable of and to, quote, know that you were made for more. We hear a lot of this today, right? If you don't, uh, if, you're, if you're not on social media, if you are on social media, you see this every nine seconds, right? Because every time you swipe, there's some like verse out of context. I heard this great scripture the other day. Maybe only Ryan will appreciate this. He said, I can do all things through a verse out of context. So it was Tools to go and excel and to 
seed, it's all, it's all there inside of you. But that is the opposite of what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked. And without God, there is no good thing that comes from us. Even the things that people say are good are actually selfish in nature when done apart from the pursuit of Christ. You hear a lot of people say around the holidays, you know, I want to give. It's always better to give than to receive. Why? Why, why do people who are aside from Christ, who do not believe in Christ, why do they do that? Because I feel good when I do it. So who is it about? Jesus. The next line in your notes, without Christ, these are empty cliches. They're empty cliches. Why? Because let me tell you exactly what you and more specifically Because the truth is, 
the truth is that we're only going to do what I want to do. I'm only going to take what I want to take. I'm only going to go where I want to go. I'm only going to fulfill the desires I really want in me to be fulfilled at this exact moment. And it doesn't matter what the repercussions are or the ripple effects. I'll figure that out later. I want what I want right now. I'm going to do it. And my friends, that's what I'm talking about. That's the you that ends up in a selfless heap of regret. And the you that we're supposed to put to death by new life in Christ that frees us and creates us. Freedom is not the ability to pick your bondage. Freedom is the ability to say no. And the Spirit of God gives us the ability to look at the things that are away from Him that we can say no to. Can we learn a way to navigate life without Christ so we're polite and we're not mean to most people? Probably. Can we learn a few principles that will help us have a positive business and personal interactions? Yeah, probably. But the church has presented the gospel as a way for us to clean up our behavior instead of the way to life. And we have done the people that we have preached this to a wild disservice. And so before we go out there and try to correct everybody's behavior, let's get it right in the church house first. Why would we encourage other people to do these things apart from Christ, to clean up their moral behavior? Why in the world would we encourage them to do that? Because if our goal is only to change behavior, then all we're doing is dressing people up real nice for a funeral. Next sign in your notes. Behavior change without Jesus is simply putting nice clothes on a corpse. Behavior change without Jesus is simply putting nice clothes on a corpse. Why? When we do not believe in Christ, we are not just quote-unquote bad. We are dead. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And when you are dead, the only thing that's going to be produced from your roots of death is the fruit of death. And when you go from death to life, the fruit that is produced in you comes from a life that is not your own, but that has been bought and paid for. And the Spirit of God inside you begins to push that fruit out and you are shown to be truly alive. This past Friday, we um, celebrated my wife's birthday, and uh, she turned 25. Yeah. Um, again. Um, so it was her. Well, yeah, we are. It's all her birthday. She turned 50, so we had a big, huge, you know, a big, huge party and celebration. And there was probably like 70 people there. But as we were prepping for the party. She, she looked at me and she said, I didn't realize something a couple weeks before marriage. She goes, this isn't just my 50th birthday. I was born in 1971. She goes, it's my 30th year of serving God since 1999. So we celebrated her at a 50-30 party. 50 years born and 30 years born again. And at the end of that, at, at the end of the party, at the end of all the the food and the flavor tacos, which I ate a bunch of. Thank you. I was doing it. I love those things. Um, and after we wrapped up, you know, everything at the end, we had 
Your sakes, 
it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. You know, a lot of times when we read uh, about people in the Bible, about Paul, about Peter, about Moses, about, you know, Joshua, King David, Solomon, all these guys who were heroes of the faith, we sometimes look at these guys as if they're kind of like superheroes in our Marvel movies, right? Like, they're all in, they're, they eat, sleep, and breathe justice, and eat, sleep, and breathe, you know, uh, freedom, you know, and, you know, Captain America and Iron Man, like, it's kind of like a, he's not really a superhero, right? Like, he's just a rich guy in a suit. But they're kind of going through all these things, and we look at them as if they have some strength about them that we don't have, and it almost, we, we almost dehumanize them and put them on this platform to say, those guys can do something I watched a video this week of uh, Tim Tebow. We were talking about after show, and then we can continue on with the theme. I watched him do a workout. Now, a guy who played in the NFL is in a, ro- in a locker room with all these guys who are the biggest, strongest, meanest, like, you know, just want to hit you hard every single week on the football field. If all those guys refer to you as the Hulk, which they did to Tim Tebow, that, that dude's a dick. He's ripped, right? And so I, I caught a video of him. You know, I've been trying to go back to the gym a little bit, you know, this year and stuff. And I saw him do a workout that made me want to quit the gym. This dude had a medicine ball, and it's basically um, like a soft, uh, softer version of the 50 to 80 pound weight. And he is holding this thing and doing squats and launching it backwards over his head to his brother who catches it. And then he is like, they do slow motion. And about his form and stuff, and I'm like, I didn't know I had a muscle that far on my side of my leg. That is crazy. It's like bulging out of his legs and stuff on his arms. I'm like, man, I don't, jeez, there's no way in the world that that's happening to me. Holy cow, right? And I looked at him as he's doing all of this, and I, and just the first thing that crossed my mind was, I can never do that. I'm like, bro, my doctor's watching me do that. I'm over 40 now, right? Like, I'm, whew, like, I'm, I'm, I'm in pain watching this. And technically, I can't do it now. But if I continue to pay the price that he did, there might be an opportunity I can reach that. See, I heard him do an interview where he talks about getting up in the morning and there's a struggle that goes on in his mind. And he says, going to get up at 5 or 5.30 or 4 or whatever time, ungodly hour of the morning it is, he gets up to go work out. Am I going to get up and go do this? Or I'm going to listen to that other side, wars inside of me, and go, I'm just going to stay here and make it all work. And for me, that has won out a couple more times in the gym, right? And he says, it would feel good to stay in bed for a few more minutes, but hit the alarm and sleep another hour. He goes, but I'm trying to last long term and do something great. I want to be here for my family. I want to be here for my kids. I want to be here for the cause that God has put me on here for. And so I'm going to give everything I have. And so he has this war, these conflicting desires inside. 
Messiah are going over the inside of the people. And in this passage that we just read, Paul admits there is conflict in him. The next one. Paul admits there is conflict in him. He admits it would be much easier for him to die instead of enduring the hardships these worldly people are inflicting on him, the beating, the imprisonment, the oppression. It also means that he gets to go and be with his Savior in heaven forever. He sees the benefit of the gospel and the evangelism of others for him to remain alive and to keep preaching the gospel. He longs for the hardship to be over. He longs for the struggle to come to a conclusion. He longs for all of this pain that he's that he's going through, that he's enduring. He longs for it to stop. But on the other side of it, he says, I get to continue. I get to help them accomplish what God wants to do in their lives. This phrase in the scripture was, but for your sake. I'm convinced I would not have left you. My question for us is have we identified the desires that are war inside of us? Have we identified, if I, if I could walk around this room with a microphone, I wouldn't do it. But if I walk around and say, hey man, what is it? What are the, de the conflicting desires inside of you? Would you be able to identify them right now? How many of you are in a scenario where you're like, I want the struggle to be over. I want the waiting to come to an end. I want this, this turmoil that I'm dealing with in my, in my family or in my life or in my heart or in my mind or in these relationships I have. I want the situation to be done. I want the suffering, the struggle, the hardship to end. situation to be over so I can move on to a time of comfort in my life again. But on the other hand, the trying of our faith works patience. And the scars from the battle that Jesus is walking you through today are the, the ways you are legitimized when you try to help somebody else in the future. I'm not talking about a oh like a cheap little hey brother Everything happens for a reason. Of course, there's a cause and effect to everything. If I get up like Tebo does, I might be able to look like him, or at least close, or a fraction, which would still be success for me, right? If I choose the other way, then it impacts me.
hold on to some empty praise. And I don't want us to be people who say an empty praise to someone who's in the middle of a fight, middle of a struggle, because we don't know what to say, and we want to say something so it doesn't make us look weird or make us feel bad on the ride home. If you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say, but I know a God who can, who can intervene right here. Let's pray right now. Let's get away from the worthless words, these worthless platitudes of, oh, everything happens for a reason, brother, and then go home and be like, hallelujah, and go to sleep while the other person goes back home and breathes in silence. I'm not talking about a cheap, everything happens for a reason type of attitude. I'm talking about a, I am certain the God who walks me through this suffering will use it to encourage others to follow Jesus through their own difficulties later in life. If he has not got you out of it, he intends to lead you through it so that when someone else is going through it, you can be on the outside and have a legitimate conversation with them. I don't know if you've ever met anybody who has only worked at a church their whole life. They've never been in a job, never worked in corporate America, they never back groceries as a kid, they just went from high school to college and you know, they walked out and were at a church that, you know, gave them a real good salary and a whole bunch of, you know, benefits and they just moved their way up the career ladder and bigger churches and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when you lose your job and you go to that guy, what does he say? God will provide, man. He does for me. Be blessed, bro. And goes on. Because he doesn't understand what it's like to lose the job, to wonder where the next meal is coming from. How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to continue going forward? Next time you know that your current struggles are your future encouragements. Your current struggles are your future encouragements. And here's what I mean. The struggle you endure today and God gives you the strength you on the way out of it is a thing that you can turn around and encourage someone else with who's going through the same issue as you. Do not quit on God in the middle of this. He will provide help for you. I'm going to step in here and try to help to pray for you. I'm going to buy you some food. I'm going to supply you some groceries. I'm going to get some people to pray for you. I understand what that's like. And when that guy runs across you, it's much different than the guy who's like, he provides, man. See you next week. And then runs back on. Why? It's hard to trust somebody when they're struggling. And the scars that you carry, some of them might be from self-inflicted wounds. But the almighty, gracious, loving Savior heals and cleanses. What about you keep the scars? Some of those wounds might be from enemy.
helpless as the children of God walk right up boldly into the throne of grace in our time of need. My friends, your roots and the focus of your life and the focus of your relationship with God cannot be here. This has to help edify you and grow in your relationship, but it cannot be the foundation. Because I know what I'm capable of. And I know the desires that are constantly at war inside of me, and I expect fully to never give in to them or bring shame to the gospel. And I hope, with an unknown and uncertain future and a very flawed person, that I hope that I will never do anything to bring shame on the gospel. But if I do, in some way, shape, or form, that cannot wreck your faith, because your faith is not in me or my ability to sustain what I'm trying to preach, although I will be held accountable for that. Your relationship with him has to be direct. I noticed something this week. The last line of reading, I noticed it's interesting. Through the entire first chapter of Philippians, Paul addresses things that shape and mold our hearts more into the likeness of Jesus. He's addressing things that shape and mold our hearts more into the likeness of Jesus. You may pick up some idiosyncrasies from people that you're around. Um, Brian is up here saying he has a famous saying desire over the spiritual one, does that need 
speak to me about how it actually is, but Jared could 